Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning again. Um, I'm going to start a new series today. I was thinking about this as I... I don't know, it just popped in my head that, like, man, we got these super, like, Easter colorful backgrounds for the songs, and then I'm going to bring, like, death and darkness <laughs> with these black and white backgrounds that, you know, it, it, it'll make sense, I promise. Um, we're starting a new series today called Sorry Not Sorry, and I know that probably means nothing to you yet, but give me a minute, and, and it will. Um, I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a confession um, and, and this is just me uh, kind of just reflecting and being a little bit honest about where I, where I am and, and, and where I th- type of person I think that I am. Anyways, I, I consider myself uh, to be kind of a friendly person. I think I think I'm a pretty friendly person. I it's it's hard for me to meet a stranger. I don't usually I have no issues just talking to random people anywhere you know I waiting in the grocery line I'll, I'll talk to somebody you know so I don't always want to as you may attest I mean the grocery store sometimes you're like navy seal on a mission you don't want to be bothered right but you know there I, I don't have issues with talking to people where I struggle if I'm honest is I don't always understand people on an emotional level anybody relate I don't get it sometimes. I just don't get, I don't get the big feelings. I, 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 I struggle sometimes with emotional intelligence as it relates to relationships and people's feelings. And, and I have failed, Allison could attest to this, I have failed in this area many, many times. Um, for those of you who don't know, Allison is my wife, not just some random person I picked out that said, hey, you know, she knows a lot about me. Um, I struggle with this. I have two little girls, and sometimes I have said things. I have said things to Allison, be it in my in my marriage as a parent, in friendships, all across the board. Said things that were hurtful, not thought about the words that were coming out of my mouth, and 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 been mean, been harsh, been abrasive, even rude. And sometimes I just don't get it. I'm like, why are you so upset? I didn't mean. I mean, I mean, you know, I I don't always get it now i'm gonna bet that there are some men in the room if you're honest you might say yeah me too right and some wives that would say yeah him too you know they're like yeah him too you know i don't i I shouldn't say that that's just a man thing but i I do feel like typically men we're a little bit more uh, less in tune with that and and our counterpart ladies you are a little bit more in tune uh not always the case But when it comes to relationships, there are unspoken, unwritten rules. Lists of rules. Too many rules sometimes, I think. Rules that I don't even know about sometimes until I break one and somebody says, hey, you shouldn't do that, right? I mean, we've been there. And and there are guidelines for how we should treat each other. And, And I know this mentally, but I mess it up all the time, all the time. And, and maybe you could say, you know, me too, and we should start a club, and we'll all keep each other, you know, we'll all just hurt each other's feelings and be okay with it, you know. But, but there are things like this. Let me give you some examples of some rules. Keeping 
each other's secrets or confidences. See, now, I, I, don't, I think I'm good at keeping someone's secrets, but sometimes I don't always know that when they're saying it and they don't say, hey, don't tell anybody this, I don't just automatically know that. See, I have been guilty of time or two not knowing I wasn't supposed to say something and then telling somebody else. Because who doesn't love a good story, right? I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just too juicy to keep to yourself. You're like, i got to share that with somebody. But... That's one of those rules that sometimes you got you got to be aware of, and you can't do that. Another one, friends are supposed to have each other's back, right? See, and I feel like I do pretty good at that one. I'm going to give myself a, a, a check on that one. I try, I, I like, I try my best. Here's one I don't do so good at. We should know the limits of a joke. Who's my sarcastic people in the house? Well, a lot more than I expected. Who hates sarcasm? Just a few. Okay. All right. So we got the majority sarcastic ones. We, 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 we win the day. Um, but when it comes to friendships, sometimes you need to know, hey, that joke has run its course. There's a limit. You know, and, and, and I grew up in a house where there was no limit. We didn't know a limit. In fact, the limit was somebody had to die. Before you could, you know, I mean, we would be, we'd make jokes about the person that died. You know, I mean, that's just, that's just, that was uh, terrible as it sounds. That was how it was. That was just all we knew. Another one, you can't date your best friend's ex-girlfriend or ladies, your, your best friend's ex-boyfriend. That's now, okay, that might be a rule that is a little bit truer for those of us in the room that might be younger and single and don't have, but I think as you get older, that kind of goes away. But it's true, right? I mean, there have been many broken relationships, even, even maybe like sisters, who you know, one sister dated the other sister's ex-boyfriend and, and didn't ask for permission, and, and now it's a lifelong feud of, you know, of fighting over that, that one guy or that one, that one girl. See, I think some of these things are a little bit more tricky when we're younger and they fade away as we get older. But then there are some universal rules that are true as, as true in kindergarten as they are when you're 95, right? I mean, they, they just universal. They last forever. But here's the thing that I think I mess up. I think that most of us probably fail when it comes to this. Is we make the assumption that everybody knows our true motives. We make the assumption that everybody knows that when I say that, they know my heart. They know what I really meant. They know that I didn't really mean to hurt them. I didn't really mean to say it in that way and, and offend them because they know my heart. But here, here's, here's the unfortunate truth. Life doesn't always work that way. And not everybody always gives us the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes we do put our foot in our mouth, right? Sometimes we do say things that we shouldn't say or do things that we shouldn't do. And, 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 and I'll take my confession a little bit further. Sometimes we fail about three hours before we're going to preach about it. Sometimes. See, I had a whole other story worked out for this moment. And then this morning happened. And so I mentioned I have two little girls. And they are very opinionated about the clothes that they wear. So much so that apparently we are not allowed to wear jeans, ever. I don't know who, who made that rule. I don't like that rule because they have like 10 pairs of jeans that are easily pulled out of the drawer and put on a body. But no, we are not allowed to wear jeans, Dad has been told at 
in a pinch, in a rush, a little stressed out this morning trying to get here on time and, and, and get ready for today. And I'm, I'm like, we are throwing all the jeans away. If you don't want to wear them, fine. We'll give them to some other kid who does want to wear them. Moms and dads, you ever had a moment like that where you just snap? That was me this morning. And that is what I'm going to refer to for the course of this series as a sorry, not sorry moment. Let me explain what that means. What that means is that I was sorry that anything that came out of my mouth after that moment, I'm sorry that it hurt your feelings, but I am not sorry at the same time because we've got to go, we've got to get dressed, we've got things to do, get the jeans on, I don't care that you're mad, I don't care that you're crying, we're throwing them all away when we get home from church and I will pray about it before we leave. You know what I mean? I mean, okay, I'm glad that somebody understands me because I felt like the worst person ever this morning. And I'm like, how do you preach about this? I'm, I'm at least glad we got a laugh out of that and not like a let's take him out and stone him sort of thing, you know? Oh, man, it was rough. It was rough. And, and you know, in those moments, we've all had something like this probably happen to us where, where it was either we were the one or it was somebody else where somebody hurt us, somebody said something to us, somebody did something to us. And yeah, they're sorry that it upset us. They're sorry that it made us mad, but they're not sorry about what they did. If given an opportunity to do it again, they'd have done it the same exact way. Have you ever been there? Where somebody hurt you and it's like they don't even care that they hurt you. They're sorry in the sense of like, well, I'm going to say I'm sorry. Just so it hopefully makes you feel better. But I don't really care that you're upset. And I'm not really going to change how I approach this situation. That is a sorry, not sorry moment. And I think we've all been there. We've had those hurts. We've had those disagreements where people do stuff to us. And we can just hug it out and everything is all better. Aren't those the best? Where it's just like, all you really need in this moment is just a good hug and everything will be fine. That's not a sorry, not sorry moment. Because see, these types of moments are the ones where the hug's not going to work. In fact, when you hug, you're boiling inside. You're just mad. You're just getting madder and more hurt and more frustrated. And I think we have these moments when people cross a line that's so bad and they just don't care that they cross that line. And what happens in those moments is that's where grudges are born. That's where hatred and resentment and bitterness are born. And those are things that can totally destroy and take over our lives if we let it. If we let it. Now, I would say that having a grudge or holding a grudge against somebody is actually so common in our culture and society that we don't even know we're holding a grudge against somebody sometimes. We're just completely unaware of it until that person is mentioned in a conversation or we run into them in the grocery store and then we remember all the things that they did to us so many years ago or, or, or something happens. It's possible that you're holding on to something right now and you haven't thought about it for years. But then somebody mentions that person's name and it's like you relive that moment all over again, all over again. Perhaps it was a, a, an ex-spouse that hurts you, an old boss or a, or a former coworker or a friend that you haven't talked to in years. Maybe it's somebody, maybe it's your, your spouse, maybe your husband or wife. You guys, you've said things or done things over the years and you've never really actually dealt with it. You just, it just, the hurt kind of hangs on in the background and, and then they do that thing or whatever again or something that resembles that and it's like you relive that moment. It's possible that 
we're carrying around hurt from our past that we've never, ever even dealt with. See, something that I think that we, we don't think about very often or don't consider is, is how bad holding a grudge can be for us. Holding on to a grudge can actually be bad for you. Do you know that? There's actual science behind this. It can be bad for your health, your, your mental state, your emotional health, and even your physical health. According to the Mayo Clinic, holding on to a grudge is a detriment to your personal health. It causes feelings of depression and anxiousness. It can cause a loss of valuable connectedness with others and a feeling of being at odds with your spiritual beliefs. Think about that for a moment. Holding a grudge against someone is in direct conflict with your ability to have faith in Jesus, according to the Mayo Clinic, basically. I don't, that's not like biblical. I don't want to like, but I think that it, it's practical. I think that it's true. It affects our ability to have faith when we hold a grudge. They say at the most basic level, holding on to resentment and anger activates our fight or flight response. That's crazy. That's the thing that's in you that triggers when you're in an accident or you're being attacked by someone or if you were in combat, like that fight or flight, that thing that says, I need to survive. When you hold on to a grudge, you are in survival mode constantly. A constant state of stress. Our sympathetic nervous system then spikes levels of cortisol, which is a stress-related hormone. That's crazy. There's a uh, PhD uh, professor at, uh, uh, of psychology at Hope College, and I think, did I actually have this quote, Kyle? Yeah, I cannot say this lady's name. Charlotte. <laughs> if you see it all in like lowercase and capital letters, the letters that are capital should not be the letters that are capitalized. I don't understand this woman's name. But anyways, she is a doctor in psychology, and she believes this. She says that those who don't forgive could be setting themselves up for future health problems, including cardiovascular ones. When we are bitter and angry, it can impact our ability to heal and heighten our stress response. Eventually, our bodies begin to suffer physically. The, response, the stress response from anger raises blood pressure, reduces the healthy tone of your vagus nerve, and activates a feedback loop of distress. Love that language. That when we hold a grudge against someone, we are in a feedback loop of distress. Meaning we just constantly are dealing with, with the emotion of our grudge. William H. Henry, or sorry, William H. Walton says it this way. To carry a grudge is like being stung to death by one bee. Let's go home. Amen, right there. I mean, like that in itself would be reason enough for me to say, no, thank you. I don't want to hold a grudge against somebody. I want to let go of anything, any past hurt, because that sounds terrible. <laughs> right? It's crazy. But see, the frustrating truth about this is that when you're mad and when you're hurt and when you're holding on to past pains, even when you're right, even if you have the truth on your side, even when you feel like I'm right and they're wrong, it doesn't matter because you get stuck in this loop of negativity. Before we get into our text this morning, I just want to sit for a moment on this question. Are you stuck right now? Are you stuck in a feedback loop of negativity because something that somebody has done to you years ago, might have been weeks ago, might have been months ago, 
It might have been forever ago. So long ago that you barely even remember what it was, but you just know that you're mad at them. And you know that you hurt and you're holding on to it. I, I have so been there in my life. There's, I was telling the band this morning as we were going down the rundown for the services, I think that there's usually two types of people when it comes to this. There's the people that the minute we start talking about this, you immediately know your person. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to like search your soul or anything. You're like, I know that so-and-so is the person that hurt me and I'm mad at them. That's, that's me. I don't even have to think about it. There's a person from my past who I used to work with that, that hurt me and, 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 and was abusive in, in some ways to me. And I don't even have to think about it. I just, the minute I uh, preach on this, it's like, I know that I'm going to have to deal with that. And maybe for you, that's where you're at. You know that person. Or maybe you need to think about it a little bit more. And hopefully by the end of today or by the end of this series, you will have, have some, some progress forward in this in your life. Now, as long as there have been people, there have been people holding grudges. <laughs> there have been conflict. There's been relational distress and difficulty. And, I mean, all the way back to, to the beginning of creation. And the Bible actually addresses this very issue and I think gives us some very practical advice that we're going to look at this morning. If you want to turn with me, you can. We will be in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but if, uh, let me give you some context before we get there. About 2,000 years ago, the church was really kicking off and, and beginning to thrive and, and grow. And there was a man who came on the scene named Paul, formerly known as, as Saul. He was one of the absolute biggest opponents to Christianity and the movement of Jesus in this day. He was a professional uh, hunter and, and, and abuser and killer of Christians, basically. That was what he did. He was, he was excellent at it. And he would track down people who, who would follow Jesus and he would persecute them and, and, and sometimes stone them to death. And, and one day on the way to Damascus, he had this encounter with Jesus where his whole life turned upside down and he was changed forever. And he stopped being called Saul and, and be, became Paul and was referred to that from the, from the rest of his days. And, and he became such a high profile believer of Jesus that everybody, even, even other Christians were like, I don't know about this guy. You know, and maybe that's been some of your stories. Like, I don't know about this guy. I used to know him back when, you know, and he used to do that. And that was Paul. That was Paul's story. And, and, but he, he was so just on fire for Jesus. And people hated that. People who used to be his partners and persecuting people and other people who were against Jesus, they, they wanted to, to end Paul. They wanted to get rid of him. And so they began to track him down. And they, he had been stoned. He had been put in prison. He had been beaten. He had been flogged. And, and so much more. And if there was ever anyone, perhaps in human history, who deserved to hold a grudge or to get even with the people that hurt him, it was probably the Apostle Paul. I think that most of us, if we knew his story or, or read his story, would say, yeah, I could agree with that. He probably had a good reason to get back at somebody. But Paul actually tells us something that is so countercultural, not just to our culture today, but to the culture in that day. See, the policy in that day was eye for an eye. You do wrong to me, and I'm going to do wrong to you in an equal sort of manner. That was what the Jews had been taught. That's what all the other religious institutions of the day, that's what they, many of them believed was, was eye for an eye. And Paul comes along and he says something totally different. And, and we're going to read it. Chapter 5 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. 
verses 12 through 18. There's really one verse I want to focus on, but I want to read the verses around it to give us some context. It says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We could probably just stop right there and just let that verse resonate for a minute. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. That might have been a good note for this morning. Be patient with everyone. You know, sometimes we don't get it, right? Verse 15, here's the key verse. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Sorry, my throat is so sore this morning. I'm trying to like, I've drank this whole bottle of water thinking it was going to help. It has not. But verse 15, I want to read it again. It says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. See, even though Paul had suffered, even though he had every right to say, I want to get back at the people that have hurt me. I want to, I want to get even. He says, hey, I don't believe that my mistreatment requires revenge. I don't believe that because somebody was abusive to me or somebody was wronged me or somebody lied to me or somebody cheated me or somebody told a bunch of gossip about me that it requires that I go out and do the same of them. I don't believe that. And not only do I not believe that, Paul says, but I think that you should take a completely opposite approach. And instead of getting back at them or getting even with them, I think that you should be good to them. And I like this in my, in, in my pastor mind, in my Christian heart, I like this. But in the side of me when I'm mad, I don't like this. He says, be good to everyone. Not just the ones we like, church. Not just the ones that are easy to get along with. Not just the ones that sit next to us at work and we enjoy having a conversation with. No, be good to the ones that annoy you to the point of where you want to stick your hand in the paper shredder. You know, be good to the ones that you have really bad thoughts about. It's like if that lady comes in my office one more time. Oh, do I have to have this job? I mean, like I could, I could survive without, right? Like, I mean, a couple years in prison won't be too bad, you know? Like, oh man, if they come in here. You know, I mean, no, no, be good to them. Be good to them. Be good to the, the ex-spouse who, who treated you so badly. Or be good to the parent who abused you. Or be good to the child who never comes to visit and is estranged from you. Be good to everyone. And don't pay back wrong for wrong. Now, I know this is not fair. This does not sound fair. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't look fair. There's nothing about this that says, oh, that's fair. We should do that. But Paul says, this is how 
we should live our lives because it is a better way to live than the alternative. See, Paul understood a fundamental truth about holding a grudge and holding on to past hurts. He believed this, and this is the bottom line. If you get nothing else, at least take this home. The more you hold on to a grudge, the more the grudge holds on to you. Think about that for a second. The people that have hurt you, that you're upset with, that you're mad at, that have done you wrong, they probably, I can't say always, but they most likely do not even know that you're hurting. There's a good chance they don't even know that you're mad at them. They don't even know that what they did is eating you up inside, right? I mean, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, we are holding on to something that has complete control over us, and the people that we're mad at, they don't even know. They sleep soundly at night. They don't lay in bed and think about the fact that, you know, oh man, I hurt them. I should probably do something to make them feel better. They most likely don't even know. So why do we let our grudges, our past hurts, hold us captive? Because that's what it's doing. It's completely got control over you. And Paul says, hey, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. How can we do good for those who've hurt us? Because sometimes, and and I'll be honest, I don't always want to do that. It doesn't always feel good to do good to those who've hurt you, right? Sometimes you're thinking about like, hmm, how can I like, you know, fill their office full of the paper that was from the shredder for five years, you know? Or how can I, you know, do, do something to get back at them, you know? How, how, that's, that's, that's what feels good. Let, let me propose something to you this morning. The only way that we can find freedom from holding a grudge against somebody and our past hurts, the, the, the pain, the, the, the anger, the, all of that, is for one person in the particular situation, and I'm going to go ahead and put it on you, and say, you need to let go. You've got to just let go. See, the chains of bitterness and of hurt and of anger and resentment, they aren't even locked, friends. Think about this. You and I are chained by the past hurts, but they're not even locked. They're just wrapped around us. We just carry them around and hold on to them. And they weigh us down and they rob us from having the relationship with Jesus that, we, that we're called to have, that he wants for us. We're robbed of the freedom that comes from not holding on to past hurts and, and robbed of, of that abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Because instead of being locked up, we're holding on to the chains and we're carrying them around with us. And what we need to do is just let go. Just let go of it. Stop you know, like when we're kids, you remember that you, you play with the handcuffs that all you had to do is push the button and they just come undone. We're like that, only we're pretending like there's no button and no key. And we're just like dragging around sad, but we just need to let go. Push the button, let them go. Let go of the grudge. Letting go of the grudge may be the very first step that you need to take into finding freedom from something or someone who's hurt you. Now, ultimately, I think that where we are going in this series is to get to that point where we say you need to forgive that person. But 
I understand you may not be there yet. There are times when I've not been there yet. You know what I mean? Like you're just not ready to forgive them. You're just like, I can't get there yet. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You say, I'm not there yet. I want to give you something this morning that you can take with you that would be the first step in the process of getting to forgiveness. But before we do that, we need to make sure that we all are on the same playing field of willing to admit whether or not we're holding a grudge against somebody. So we're going to do a quiz. I'm sorry, it's a pop quiz. Everybody get your number two pencils out. Ushers are going to pass out the quiz. No, I'm just kidding. Really, there is a quiz, but it's not, we're not going to do it like that. So let's be honest for a moment. Is it okay to be honest in church? See, I feel like sometimes we come to church and we're like, we don't want no one to know that we got issues. Right? Don't let nobody know that I failed this morning when it came to my kids and I made them cry. Don't want you to know that. Right, Al? We mess up. All day, every day. Let's be honest this morning. Don't answer these out loud, though. That might get a little weird. Quiz. Question number one. Are you holding onto a grudge? Here we go. Do you have arguments with someone in your head? Let's <laughs> see. Yeah, right? And I don't, I mean like extended. Not just like. You know, you just had a little fight with your spouse and you're like, and then you're in the other room like arguing with them. You're going to go tell them what for, you know, because you're right and they're wrong, right? But I mean like for days where this is just going on and on and you're having that imaginary conversation with them in your head and it's like you're winning. I mean, you're killing it, right? You, you always win the conversation in your head. And then you never say any of those things if you're smart. You never say anything of those things out loud. You just bury them down deep. So nobody knows. But, but you, do you have arguments with someone in your head? Second question. Are you giving a close friend or family member the silent treatment? Part two of that question is, do you ever avoid someone that you're mad at? Now, if this is a spouse thing, like we'll, we'll use Al and Chris because they're thick skinned. They can handle it. Al has once again put his foot in his mouth and Chris is mad at him. And they're in the same house now, and they got to go through the hallway together. You ever have one of those awkward moments where you're trying to avoid each other, and it's like, you're like, all right, you know, hi, how you doing? You know, you don't act like you don't even know them. You're just like, you know, you just nod and move on with, you don't say anything. You know, you're just giving each other the silent treatment. You might have an old, old boss or a coworker or someone that you've been giving the silent treatment for five years to. You try to avoid them every day. It's like your personal mission to avoid them. It's like, oh, somebody's got to go to the copier. We better make sure that Jim's not going, you know? I mean, you better make sure, you know, we don't want to be there when he's there. I think we get that. We'll move on. Number three, do you stalk someone on social media, be it Facebook, Instagram, some other f- platform, to see if you're doing better than them? Now, see, we did this series with the youth, and I think that might be a little bit more applicable to the youth, and so is the next one. But I'm not going to put it past you, because I know we, we, we make mistakes and we, we mess up, right? You ever stalk anybody hoping, man, I just want to feel better about myself, so I, that's why I follow this person. Because they just, you know, all they ever do is post stuff that just makes me feel good about me, you know? Number four. Do you ever leave passive-aggressive comments on someone's profile? 
I won't point fingers, or screenshot their profile and send it to your friends so you can make snarky comments or talk about them. Again, is that beneath us? I would like to think so, but I'm just going to assume maybe not. Right? We may have done this before. And lastly, perhaps more applicable, do you think about ways that you can pay someone back for what they did to you in the past, be it a week ago, six months ago, 12 months ago, or many, many years ago? See, if you said yes to any one of these questions, you might at the very least be holding on to something or be in a relationship that's got some red flags and you need to work some issues out with them. And so I want to give you some practical steps this morning of where we can begin the process of dealing with our sorry, not sorry moment, our grudge. Three things that I think will begin the process of getting towards forgiveness, which we're going to talk about next week. But at the very least, it's going to start that journey into freedom over your grudges. And the first one is this. Give up. Give up. And what I mean by this is give up your right to get even. Give up your right to get even. I don't know what it is about being hurt, but there's something in us that says when somebody hurts you, you have the right to get even with them. In fact, when we did this with the youth group, we did a small group thing the week following. And we had a, a, a young boy in, in the group said, when somebody hurts me, it is my right to do something back to them in some equal manner or, or better. And he was actually leaning towards the better because then it would make him feel better. This kid was in fifth grade. And that was the ideology that he had about when people hurt him. And I think that that's not just true of someone in fifth grade or sixth grade or high school. I think that we all at times feel this way. They have hurt me and now it's my turn. And we've got to give up that right. Perceived right. I don't think you actually have the right. I shouldn't have to specify that, but I do feel like I want to say that. I don't think that we have the right to hurt people when they've hurt us back. Hurt us. We don't have that right. But we feel like we do. We have that perceived right to hurt them. And we've got to give that up. We've got to get to the point where we say, I'm giving up my right to get even. I'm giving up my right to get even. And the second thing is we've got to let go. You've got to let go. Let go of the frustration. Let go of the anger. Let go of even, even if you feel like it's righteous anger. We mentioned this before, like if you feel like you have right on your side, you have the truth on your side, like you have a whole group of people that could come in behind you and say, you know what, yep, you're right. You, they are wrong. You've got to let go of that. You've got to let go of that. I confess again, this is a terrible day for me. <laughs> um, this past week we celebrated Easter and the person that I mentioned earlier who I've when I think of this type of message, this is the first person that comes to my mind. Um, I saw his daughter had posted on Instagram this past week that they had baptized somebody on Sunday and, and, and they were celebrating that and it was an amazing thing. And, and then they, she said in the comments and that, you know, that he's been serving at this church for 18 years and this June they're going to, you know, he's stepping down and I, they're moving. And, um, and in that moment when I saw this, instead of being in like a happy celebratory mode for the fact that a soul was one 
And this beautiful picture of this girl who admires her father and knows nothing of the, the wrongs that he's done or the hurt that he's caused in people's lives, that's fine. I don't want her to know that. That's a beautiful picture. I hope that my kids will one day think of me as someone who's never done anything wrong because I'm just praying, God, don't let me mess it up. It's more likely that I'm probably going to just, I'm hoping I don't mess them up. We're praying that Allison is more influenced than me because she's, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and in this moment, instead of being happy for them, I found myself being mad. I had to go back and give up and let go and say, I, why am I here? Why, why am I mad about this? And here's the crazy thing. He doesn't even know unless he stalks me and listens to this message online. I would really be weird, but he'll never know. He'll never know. It only is affecting me. It's only weighing me down. It only weighs you down. You've got to reach a point where you say, okay, I'm going to give up and I'm just going to let go. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of the need to be right. I'm going to let go of the hurt. I'm going to let go of the past. And I'm going to move on. And the third thing is this, and this is kind of dumb, but just repeat it. Because like this morning, when you fail, or like this past week when I saw that post on Instagram, you have to repeat it. The process towards... Uh, the, the escaping the, the, the holding on to a grudge, it's a, it's a process. It's, it's not something that happens overnight. You're not going to have overnight success with this. And so you might have to just keep doing it and keep doing it. But we've got to be willing to take that step and keep doing it. Now, over the next three weeks, these messages, so, so today and then two weeks, the next two weeks, these might be some of the most simplistic messages that I have ever preached. Uh, we, we, we try really hard to make them as simple as possible when I do this type of content with the youth group. And I, and I really wanted to preach this for all of the adults because I felt like this is something that we deal with as adults. And so I tried to kind of go a little bit deeper. But honestly, I think this is very simple content. The idea of saying, okay, we're going to give up and let go, that's really simple. That's almost too simple. But here's the truth of this. This is so hard to apply. It's easy to say, but it's so hard to apply. It's sometimes when you've been hurt, it is really hard to give up and let go, right? When you've been hurt, it feels like if you let go, you're letting them off the hook. I can't give up the grudge. I can't let go. I can't give up because if I do, it's not fair. And they need to know how bad they've hurt me. They need to know how they've wronged me. They need to know that what they did is not okay. And besides, I'm an ambassador for all those who will come after me, and I don't want them to hurt them, so I need to make a stand right here. You ever felt like that? Like you got to fix everybody? I've been there. And see, here's the thing. This series, the, today, next week, the week after, is not about you winning a conflict. It's not about you fixing someone. It's not even about you being right, church. It's about you fixing you it's about jesus working in your heart and changing you into the person that he wants you to be it's about him allowing you to experience the freedom and the power through his grace and mercy when we say i'm going to give up 
and I'm going to let go. And I'm just going to live in that. Do we want that, church? Do we want that freedom? I hope so. I hope so. Even though it feels like we're giving up power in the end by giving up and letting go, the truth is is that we're actually being empowered. We get the power in the end when we give up and we let go. It empowers us because we are no longer being weighed down by those who've mistreated us or who've hurt us. We're no longer carrying around the chains of that past situation. We're experiencing and living in the freedom that comes from the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ at work in our lives and at work through us in our relationships with other people. See, this is what really matters. When we do this, we become more and more like Jesus every day. And if you're here for your millionth time or your first time, this is why we do what we do every week. Is our hope, our mission, our goal is to help people become more and more like Jesus every day. That's why we do this. It's why we sing. It's why we preach. It's why we have small group. It's why we do everything that we do. It's because we want people to be more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I believe that if we had more people out there who were like Jesus, the world might just look a little bit more like Jesus. And that would be amazing, wouldn't it, church? Be amazing. Seth and Maggie are going to lead us in a song this morning that I think is extremely fitting for this moment. But it is not a song for us to sing together, which I know we normally, we stand and we worship together at the end. And I want to do something different this morning. I want you to take this moment to just reflect and ask yourself, am I stuck? Is there somebody that has hurt me that I am holding a grudge against? And if that name comes to your mind, I would challenge you to do one of two things or both things. Come and pray. Pray at your seat. But here's the kicker. Here's the thing that's not fun to do and going to be hard to do. Write that person a text message, an email, a letter. Talk to that person. Or not. Here's the other thing. Or not, just do it, but don't ever say anything to them. I know that's a little weird. Because again, it's about you, not them. Not that person. It's about you finding healing. And maybe this morning you need to just write a text message to them and then delete it. To let it go. To feel that freedom of saying, I'm letting go and I'm giving up. And through that, I'm going to write them a note. And then I'm going to throw it in the trash because we're not going to live held down by that. And so that's my challenge to you this morning. Maybe for you, you just need to pray. But maybe for you, you need to take it to the next step and actually say something or do something a little bit more concrete. Maggie and Seth are going to sing and and just allow this song to speak to you this morning. Wow. That was, man, that was awesome. Love anyway. You know, I love that. It said, heart that's slow to change. (laughs) 
I mean, man. Love anyway. Church, let's be, a, let's be people who always do that. Always strive to do that. To live that out. Let's stand together and pray. Jesus, we just ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us to be people who love anyway, that, that we are people who are willing to not get caught up in holding on to a grudge and holding on to the past and holding on to those who've hurt us, God, that we would be people who just let go and, and give up and, and trust that you're going to work it all out in the end, that you're bigger than this, that you're greater than this, and that, that you want us to have good, healthy, strong, loving relationships that you want us to do good for anyone and everyone. Help us to be those kind of people. Help us to trust you in the details of those situations, Lord. When we can't see the end or we think that it's too much, help us to trust you. And may we be marked by the fact that we always love others, Jesus. Help us to love anyway. We love you, Lord. Go with us as we leave this place. And may we be your light unto this world. That we would love the people of Muncie and the people of our communities and our neighborhoods. And, and that we would just, God, that people would see something different in us. That they would see you in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you're here this morning, church. I, before you step out, I do want to make one quick announcement. I said I would do this and I forgot. Gloria Hamilton, if you remember her, this is as Larry and Diane Finney's daughter. And, and she is being ordained this year. And they're doing an open house for her at Dunkirk Nazarene Church this next uh, May 4th, uh, Saturday, next Saturday, from 2 to 5. Um, and, and they're celebrating that. And they would love for you to come out and celebrate with her if you know her or have watched her journey over the last couple of years. Um, and so uh, we encourage you to do that. We just hope that you have a great week, though, and, and, and God bless, church.